Welcome to Life Together, a podcast for Gresham Bible Church, where we exist to glorify God in being disciples who make disciples of all people through the transforming power of the gospel. On this episode, we hear from Dave and Becky Martin about their experience with spiritual abuse. I so appreciate Dave and Becky's willingness to share their story and trust you'll find this episode insightful and helpful. Today we have two very special guests with us on Life Together, and I'm so thankful uh, for Dave and Becky Martin being willing to be on the podcast today. Dave and Becky, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, the purpose of our conversation today is I'm just going to not bury the lead. We want to talk about spiritual abuse and you too. That's not just a category or a book or a podcast you've heard about. You've experienced it and lived it. And so I sincerely appreciate your willingness to be on the podcast and, and talk about a really hard thing. Um, and I'm just going to read us a uh, some scripture first to kind of ground us. And then we want to get to know you a little bit more and then we'll go into the conversation itself. But just as we were talking ahead of time, I hope this conversation is an encouragement to others. And second uh, Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four um, is our intent in this conversation. So I just want to make sure and lead with it. So God's word says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So I pray by the end of our conversation, people are going to be comforted by hearing your story. And maybe for someone who has experienced spiritual abuse or knows someone, um, what you're going to share is going to be able to comfort them. So anyway, I just want to say thank you. So anyway, First, if someone doesn't know you very well yet at GBC, let's help them get to know you a little bit. So Becky, why don't you go first? What should someone know about you? Well, I really enjoy kids. I've got some great stories, both of my grandkids and kids in the church, things they've said uh, that are hilarious. Um, but one thing that I think would surprise somebody uh, is that when I was a junior and senior in high school, I played football. Whoa. Uh, Parpa football, I was the fullback, and we won both games. So, <laughs> Well done. That's awesome. Um, I don't know. Are you wanting more? Sure. Or? It's kind of whatever you think oh. someone should get to know about you. So I'll, okay. automatically I'm having okay. a few follow-up questions. One being, what's one of your favorite things that a child has said that you remember when I was teaching four and five year olds uh, years ago, I was in the middle of the story and there was this boy that kept raising his hand, raising his hand, raising his hand. And I tried to ignore him. I couldn't ignore him. So I finally called on him right in the middle of the story. And he said, I have a hole in my underwear. Uh, <laughs> and I always really enjoyed that a lot. Was it one of my kids? <laughs> no. My lips are sealed. OK, no. okay. understood. Yeah. And, and how about Becky? Where where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in Monmouth. Um, I have a brother and two sisters, Christian family. Um, 
went to a Christian high school um, and enjoyed my growing up years and then uh, went to Judson Baptist College, uh, two-year college here in Portland, which doesn't exist anymore, but that's where Dave and I met. Um, I can't remember if I've ever shared with you, that's where my in-laws went too. So, oh, yeah. Hmm, yeah. yeah. Alums. Okay. We yeah. have two kids, uh, a son that's 44 and a daughter that's almost 41 and, and three grandchildren. Okay. Awesome. And how about any hobbies or anything you enjoy doing? Well, I'm a major book tape listener. Um, I, I really enjoy that. Um, I, I, and I enjoy cooking to some degree, but I don't, I know, don't think you could call it a hobby. I, <laughs> I, uh, I love going to the beach and to Sun River. We have uh, a family trip that we try to do once or twice a year and have really, uh, enjoyed that so much. That's my happy place when, when, uh, we get together as a family. I love it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Dave, how about you? What should Gresham Bible Church know about you? Well, one thing is that I love music and sports. Cool. Um, I played sports in high school and junior college, basketball and tennis. Um, love many different kinds of music. Uh, another thing that people at GBC might not know is that I have this kind of unique ability to talk like Donald Duck. <laughs> so uh, you, you might see me as this kind of really somber, serious, quiet person, but uh, that really is a good tool to draw kids to me. They Kids get a big kick out of that. And actually, one time on a cruise ship, I performed <laughs> in a talent show in this huge auditorium on the ship, singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow in a Donald Duck voice. Uh, uh, Dave, thank you for sharing that. We've known each other for a while now. I did not know that about you. Well done. Have you ever done any? Yeah. Can you do that on the podcast for us right now? <laughs> That is awesome. That is so cool. Have you ever done prank calls with that voice? <laughs> no, but uh, you're giving me some ideas now. <laughs> yes. That's Dave, what that's attracted really me to him. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, I'm interested in this guy. He can talk like Donald Duck. I didn't uh, really warm up for this, so I, that wasn't yeah. my best, best uh, that voice. That was still really good. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. Um, and how about just to you know familiarize uh, GBC with both of you, how long have you been married? We celebrated our 50th anniversary on St. Patrick's Day last yes. month. Yes. Congratulations. 50 years. Wow. That is awesome. And what did you do to celebrate? <laughs> we um, had had a, a really nice kind of a week celebration. And uh, one of the things we did was meet our kids at, at uh, Oregon City McMinimans, mm -hmm. kind of in between coming from Salem and Portland. And we had a, a really nice uh, lunch. Um, and then the next day was our grandson's birthday. So then we had an additional time together with family. Um, I didn't want to do kind of the traditional thing our parents had done with a uh, some kind of a reception that just seemed too old and too weird <laughs> to me, too fake. Um, but uh, yeah, 50 years. Talk yeah. about talk about ups and downs. But when you think about it, just going so fast. Mm. How can I even be 50? Anyway. Wow. <laughs> 50 years. That Praise God. That is so cool. Yeah. How about uh, before we get into talking about spiritual abuse, I just think it, it's really important we don't assume anything, you know, uh, want to keep it short, but what would be your, you know, two minute testimony? How did you come to know Jesus? If you could each briefly share that and then we'll kind of transition from there. So whichever one of you want to go first. I was born into a 
Christian family. My dad was a pastor, uh, actually pastor Damascus Community Church, not far mm -hmm. from here for 10 years. So I grew up actually in that church. Damascus was a very rural area back in those days, little tiny church. Uh, but so I, I went to Christian schools. So I was really, uh, really grew up in a strongly Christian environment, loving parents, had a lot of, I think, good role models around me. I was the kind of the typical compliant, obedient, high achieving kid who um, teachers love to have in school because I never caused trouble. And I, underneath, I was really insecure, but I, you know, kind of used my behavior and good grades and so on to tell myself that I was good, actually probably better than a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a part of my makeup growing up, you know, telling myself that, that I was this special person, but underneath it really feeling insecure and not sure of myself. So I uh, kind of cruised through elementary school, high school, and then as many young people do, I kind of hit a wall uh, early in college of just asking myself, do I really believe this stuff that I was raised with? Mm -hmm. And uh, just one conversation in, in college kind of catapulted me into a new phase of skepticism, agnosticism. I just kind of threw Christianity overboard and said, I'm going to figure this out for myself. Mm. And so for a couple of years, that's what I tried to do. I just looked at a lot of different religions and philosophies and listened to different speakers, read books. And uh, after a couple of years, uh, a relative of mine paid my way to a Christian conference. And I thought, well, she's paying my way. Okay, I'm, I'm open to anything. And uh, God, God used that conference to really get hold of me, get my attention, show me the gospel in a new light that I hadn't seen it before. And by the end of that week, I was just um, totally convinced that Jesus really was God, that what I had been taught about him all those years as a child was, was true. And wow. so 51 years ago, on my 21st birthday, actually, I kind of made that declaration. I put that stake in the ground and said, I'm all in with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I've never really looked back since then. I've sought to follow Jesus, certainly imp imperfectly, but uh, progressively, I think, just grown in my faith and my love for him and the joy I have in him. Mm -hmm. And uh, life's taken a lot of unexpected twists and turns, but he's always held on to me and I've always, that's always been my North Star. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Becky, how about you? I also grew up in a Christian home, um, very conservative church um, with a lot of um, altar calls and uh, fear-based. Mm -hmm. So, so and, and a, a, a push to get your child to make, pray the prayer as early as possible. So uh, at three years old, I, I, prayed with my mom, um, but then just a series for many years of, of insecurity and not sure and fear. Um, so, so that, that really extended off and on with, without something very personal in a relationship with God until, until I was in my, uh, early thirties when we, um, 
I was complaining about life to my sister and she suggested we get to, uh, my sister and brother-in-law had started the church. She suggested we get together with them uh, for a Bible study, which we did. And um, I tell you, just my eyes were open. My heart was open. It was, a, it was wonderful. Uh, however, that is the church that we are going to talk about later. Um, so, so for several years, it was, I just, for the first time really experienced Christ in my life and you know he can use me he loves me um, and and uh, so we'll talk about that later but but um, coming out of that church then then there was just a lot of um, pain and guilt and shame and, and, and Gresham Bible has been a church that has helped me heal. And just in the last couple of years, um, I have really uh, appreciated the women's Bible study. I feel I feel like I have, my eyes have been opened in a new way to um, God's forgiveness and love mm-hmm. and acceptance of, of me. So uh, here we are. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't God so good? He's patient with us. Yeah. 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 Well, as I've been thinking about the conversation, what keeps coming to mind, I think it's the NIV translation of Psalm 107 says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. So that's what I'd like to do is to have you tell your story and specifically about spiritual abuse. So I don't think there's a perfect way to enter the conversation. So let's just start and then there'll be some discussions. And um, I'm going to say this real quick, kind of as a preface. I hope for those that are hearing this, by the end of it, A, you're going to grow to love your brother and sister in Christ, Dave and Becky Moore. You're going to praise God for his grace and how he uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. And I also pray, I'm just going to say it, I'm going to be blunt. Um, None of us are above experiencing being spiritually abused. So I just want to say that right now. I hope by you hearing what Dave and Becky are going to share, um, it's not that someone, oh, I wouldn't have fallen into that or this. So if that's bouncing around in the recesses of your heart right now, just get that out on the table. That's not true. And so I hope by the end of this discussion uh, that we're encouraged as a church family. So anyway, I just felt like I needed to say that. So, all right. So let's start. So Dave and Becky, what has been your experience with spiritual abuse? Maybe just to start, I might just venture a a definition of what that is. I think that I would say that spiritual abuse happens when somebody, a person who has a position of influence or authority or power takes advantage of that position um, to use someone else. And it could be that abuse could take the form of financial abuse psychological, emotional, sexual, um, many different ways that that can manifest. Also, it has, I think there's different levels of consciousness of the abuser too, in terms of intention. Yeah. Um, I think in our case, and maybe we'll talk about that a little more, I, I don't know that the the main person in question who was the leader of this abusive church started out with the intention to control people and use them and manipulate them, but it developed into that. Mm-hmm. And I, my own thought is that this person originally probably had some, some good intentions and goals, but 
did not deal with certain tendencies in himself, sinful tendencies. And so gradually kind of gave in more and more to the temptations to use his power and influence in, in really toxic and unhealthy ways. Yeah. Yeah. Becky, anything you'd add to that or kind of paint that picture for us a little bit? What is spiritual abuse? I, I don't know if I have really anything to add. It's just very easy over time to be sucked into something, especially if, if you've had, um, you've been helped. But how about for those that don't know your story all the way? Why don't you kind of take a time machine and take us back? Okay. You know, what, what is the situation you're referring to as much as you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah. And then, you know, what attracted you to yeah. this church situation leader that ended up being abusive? Mm -hmm. So just kind of walk that back for us. Well, I, I've already mentioned just that I was sort of desperate and we started meeting with my sister and brother-in-law. And for one thing, more, more so than I ever had before, I saw change in his life that mm -hmm. God had changed him and that was very attractive. And um, I don't know. They just got me got me started just on some of the some of the simple things that we would all know to do, but it would it was just different. And I uh, started growing, and I started getting excited. And then over time, we we left the church that we were at and joined this church. And um, at the time, it was Southeast Bible Church, um, and <clears throat> it. It was wonderful. Hmm. Um, a lot of input, a lot of personal help, a lot of kindness and drawing in and love extended, um, given responsibility for the first time in, in my life uh, with, with other adults to help them when I didn't feel ready, but exciting. Um, and um, so slowly, I don't know if you want to say anything else about that day, but but slowly things started changing. Um, the the leader, instead of the the kind, generous, um, lay down my life for you type attitude, uh, became demanding. And this is over a period of. Um, I don't think that didn't start for at least three or four years. We were okay. there for, what was it, 14? Mm -hmm. and, um, and then it just became worse and worse um, with, with uh, um, being very demanding and controlling of people's lives and pretty soon controlling of money um, and with the attitude of I... You owe me. And at first, I fully believed that. I did owe him. Uh, my life had been changed. But after a while, um, and there was, you know, there were maybe 30 adults that we became very close to. We lived together. We moved together into in homes. And part of that was wonderful. I loved that. Um, close to people had really great friends and pretty soon it was something like um, people started reporting on each other wow. and um, it it became uh, a very uh, fear-based um, 
you had to be okay with Mike. And if you weren't, that was like the end of the world because he had the power to even even move your kids out of the house into another house. And there was very little um, that we could do about it. So it was you just felt hopeless we always could talk to each other but some of the spouses would like report on each other um, oh my goodness i don't know dave do you want to add yeah well just to back up on, on how i came into it i think i was we were in our early 30s by then we had been active in a church in southeast portland for several years and there were a lot of good things about that but i think there was a hunger on our part for more specific growth opportunities for ourselves, uh, equipping opportunities. Uh, For me, I think I really had decided firmly by that time that I really did want to serve God. I wanted to be sold out to Jesus and Mm -hmm. let him teach me and use me in any way he saw fit. So kind of an intermediate step was we, with a few other people from that church we were part of, we, we start, actually started a church ourselves. And I, one other guy and I were the, kind of the two lead elders in that church. And, uh, but, but still, I, I don't think I was ready yet for that kind of leadership. And uh, after we'd been meeting um, for maybe a year or a year and a half is when what happened? What Becky mentioned happened, where our relatives, her sister and brother-in-law, invited us to study the Bible with them, hmm. and uh, that just presented to us a very clear vision for training and usefulness in God's kingdom, and it was just tremendously attractive because we were coming out of a place where things were just kind of fuzzy and not mm-hmm. well formed, and we felt we needed some help to become the leaders God wanted us to be. So that uh, that really appealed to me. Um, I think not. It wasn't didn't appeal to just totally good things in me. Some of it was my own ambition to, mm-hmm. you know, achieve and and make an impact uh, thinking that, well, if I get the adequate training, you know, then I can really go places. Uh, yeah. So there is also always that kind of pride and ambition that was part of my makeup. But alongside that was, I think, a, a, a sincere desire to to do God's will. So anyway, that what what they were holding out to us was a clear purpose and strategy for developing disciples of Jesus who would become reproducers, who would plant churches. Mm. Um, it was a great vision. Yeah. And there are parts of that that I still carry with me. But that's really what drew us in. Yeah. Drew me in. So is it safe to say hindsight's, people say 2020, and yet I think there's always blind spots too. But looking back, there wasn't anything that you knew of in terms of abusive patterns or behavior. It sounds like it was a healthy-ish situation that attracted you to initially. Is that a safe conclusion? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. We certainly were not aware of any warning signals. Yeah. And we, we did several uh, really significant studies that formed how how we look at Christianity and how we look at growth and and uh, really positive that I f- for example just wor- working with people that that I and learning to get outside of myself and love someone else that I 
carried into my work and and home and still now yeah. that, that we learned there. So some of the people that left with us want to throw the whole thing uh, away. But for us, um, there there were significant things that we learned that we still appreciate. Yeah. So I know this isn't easy to talk about, and we'll talk about here in a few minutes kind of why you left, but let's kind of mm -hmm. lean into that in-between time. If you could even categorize it, what were some of those things that started to happen? You've shared some examples already, but that, hey, this isn't healthy, this isn't good, this isn't in step with the gospel. Like, when did that start to change? What did that look like, sound like, feel like? Looking back on it, it's easier to see where things went off the rails. Mm -hmm. When we were in it, it was just kind of gradual and we would find ways to rationalize what was happening or, or explain it away or just to tell ourselves, well, let's just keep praying that whatever kinks are in this system, God will work them out over time and, and he'll, he'll do the course corrections. And, and so I think for a long time, we realize now that we, we, we perhaps stayed longer than we should have knowing what we know now. But at the time we were just, I think, praying and asking God, we know there are some things going on here, some, some forms of manipulation, control, intimidation, things like that, um, that are not, that are not right. But we, uh, on the other hand, we didn't sense God's clear leading to abandon something that had been such a, an important vision for us and had been so helpful to us in many ways. But yeah. I think things just kind of gradually, from our point of view, deteriorated into more and more control and forced conformity and, and um, kind of a network, an information network where if, if, if anyone said anything remotely critical of the leadership, that was reported by wow. others. Um, you know, you hear about secret police networks in other countries, things like that. But, you know, cultic type organizations have that mm -hmm. have that feature, too, where there's a, a communication network that that uh, reports any any signs of trouble to the leader. And that leader can then really squash it, nip it in the bud. Just even hearing you say that right now, Dave, just like, wow, that actually happened in a quote unquote church mm -hmm. setting. And, and another thing I would just say is is the concept of loyalty is is really prominent in especially in personality cults and that that would be one way I would label what what we were it's not the only way to label it but definitely it was a community that coalesced around a person who was very magnetic uh, narcissistic mm -hmm. but a powerful speaker could really turn on the charm and could be a tremendously attractive person interpersonally. Um, so, but loyalty was, it was understood that that was the supreme value, loyalty to the leader. Okay. And we see that with political leaders. We see that in different, different spheres that, and, and I, I have come to really, you know, have a, caution flag go up in my mind when I hear loyalty talked about too much mm -hmm. because that that is one of the tip-offs that you have an abusive unhealthy system where loyalty is placed above doing what's right yeah it's placed above principle wow. is the supreme value man with, with the way we were raised I I think um, 
the church for me started going off the rails a little bit when when people began drinking heavily and I don't mean mm. a glass of wine with dinner um, and then that kind of led to what you might say more more loose behavior and um, you know we we became like I said, close, close friends with people, but pretty soon, um, and I, I'm not maybe saying this in the best way, but it, it, um, then there, there became some even affairs that started happening and even drug use. It just, it just, uh, but there was always kind of, you know, a reason. And, and for us, I think part of the time we, we would say, we know this is wrong, but God led us here. He was obvious. Mm. He'll make it obvious when, when we need to leave. And I, I think we maybe should have, I, I do wish we had left several years earlier, but, Mm -hmm. um, but when you're in a situation like that, I think part of it, you know, they talk about mind control, and I don't know if that there is something to that about the way you look at um, and things and justify things yeah. yep. um, that that is 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 real. Um, and no matter how much education you have, um, if you are really closely connected to people, then a lot can be justified. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to say, I'm just thinking through what you're saying, it sounds like there's this dichotomy of legalism on one hand and license, but both happening at the same time in some weird mix. Is that mm-hmm. a, yes, accurate? Yes, very much so. Okay. And it, it sounds contradictory, but yes, you know, in, on, in one sense, conformity was very important that everybody needed to be on the same page of their opinion, even the sports teams they rooted for had to be the same sports teams that a leader favored. I um, mean, no, just kidding. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's a sign of our, our health, I guess, that there's true. disagreement. Amen. Well said, Becky. Yeah. So on the one hand, you had this really strict conformity pressure. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, there was this growing license, licentiousness, you know, mm. um, indulgence in, um, behavior between men and women and with with drugs and gambling and things like this that were just i think parts of parts of the leaders pre pre-christian life that resurfaced mm-hmm. um in a in a big way and and you know we've just mike you know we've been going through a study in in first peter uh and second peter that describes the characteristics of false teachers yep false leaders. And um, as I studied the passage, and it's in Jude as well, this description just was so telling. It was so parallel wow. to what we saw uh, about people who entice others into their own sinful patterns of living. Yes. And uh, along with that, just seeking to undermine the relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children because then that would draw loyalty more to the lead person Mm -hmm. and bring them more under control. So sorry for what you guys have, have been through again, your willingness to talk about it. 
kind of want to think more in terms of a timeline and then look back. So first kind of continuing the timeline. So these things are happening, but you're thinking, God, I'll make it clear and we're supposed to leave. You know, this is wrong. Becky, you said, I wish we would have left earlier, but then why did you end up leaving? We left at one point. I don't know when that was, Dave, do you? Um, Maybe three years before we actually left. Because um, our, our uh, Dave's brother and wife and daughter were also there. And our daughters told us that there'd been some um, sexual uh, touching and abuse from the leader. Oh, and it turned out that that involved seven little girls. Mm. Um, and even, even then, um, you know, there was a huge apology and, and repentance, and I'm using quotes, and um, it drew us back. Mm. And so we went back, um, and then um, things just got worse and worse. Um, and at one point in 96, we... Um, another couple left, and then we, uh, we along with my sister, uh, decided to leave, and it was exhilarating and scary and our way of life. And by this time, we lived with people, and we had very few of our own possessions. We had our car, beds, and dressers, and our son had uh, had graduated from high school, and he was was no longer living there. Our daughter was a freshman. And um, we, they, they packed, I didn't even ever go back. I was at work when Dave called me and they, mm. they packed our, it was kind of a trait when somebody would leave and everybody would, would help them, even though now they weren't really saved if they decided to leave. So they put all our stuff out on, out on the, the street, right? Mm -hmm. And we moved in with Dave's, uh, mom for a couple weeks but in the meantime then dave took our daughter and his brother took his daughter to the police yeah um and i don't know if you want to say more about that dave but it seemed like the bottom line was that because we had stayed they just didn't feel like there was anything really that could be done but uh we and um a couple of the girls two or three of the girls and families all left in 96. Mm -hmm. But two of the girls and their families stayed um, and and are still there. And the daughters now are estranged from their their families. But yeah, I just, you know, backing up to the question of what what led up to the to us leaving in in 1996. I think things were just had gotten to the point where I, I was an assistant pastor in that group, had been for the last previous several years, seven years or so. And, and so I was, um, I was, you know, kind of among the leaders of the church. And then Becky's sister was uh, married to the lead pastor. So she was uh, a leader uh, as well. And she and I, I think, gradually began expressing more concerns and doubts to people, which then that found its way back to the, mm -hmm. to the main leader. And so there came a point where um, we were more or less put on trial, Carol, Becky's sister, and I, 
uh, there was a gathering in the living room of one of these homes where that we shared with other people. And it was just kind of like a kangaroo court. It was rigged. All of our best friends were there to testify against us, basically, and to identify wow. our sinful attitudes and rebellious spirits and things like this. Uh, it's a pretty awful experience to go through um, when you know that uh, loyalty to the leader over overrides any kind of affection or friendship that people have with you. They'll say what they're expected to say, because if they don't, then they're in trouble and you don't want to get in trouble. Uh, so uh, that that was kind of a climactic meeting. I don't know, we called it Black Monday or something like that, Man. as we remembered it. Um, and so we were basically forced into repenting, apologizing, um, but then there was just another incident of pretty egregious um, behavior on the part of the pastor that just was kind of the last straw. And yeah. we just talked and said, you know, I think it's time for us to to say that we need to at least separate ourselves for a while from this situation. And when we and the, the lead pastor happened to be out of town at the time. So we went to his second in command, the, his associate pastor and told him and he had an extremely strong, almost violent reaction and said, basically, clear out. We want you out of here today. We're going to put all your stuff out on the curb and you're gone. You know, you're, you're traitors, basically. Defectors was the term they used. Anybody who would leave the group was a defector. Um, so it was a pretty, pretty abrupt uh, rupture um, and, and departure, but there were things that led up to it where we were, yeah. Carol and I especially, were just kind of gradually pushed to the margins and relieved of certain responsibilities we had. And oh, You'd say put under church discipline at that point. Yeah, you might say put point. under church discipline, um, but we weren't quite sure what was happening, but behind the scenes, yeah. you know, the community was kind of mobilizing to put us in our place and, you know, quell this rebellion that was possibly in the works. <laughs> so there's abuse on multiple fronts that happened, uh, it sounds like. So I don't want to use the phrase spiritual abuse lightly. You guys have... Um, live this. So, so once you left, and again, I'm just, I know your story, some, but just even here in the moment, just hearing it, I just, uh, feel sick to my stomach. Mm. Um, once you left, what did that mean? How did that affect you individually? Like just you as a person, emotionally, physically, your walk with the Lord, how did it impact you? How did it impact your marriage? I just, think we need to talk about that. Just looking back, what was that like? One th other thing I wanted to mention before we talk about that is um, when Dave talked about loyalty, one of the things that happened is that um, the leader had ways of separating us, distancing us from our families, our wider families. And so we were, by, by the time we left, I mean, we hadn't spoken to our families. We hadn't seen them. They hadn't seen the kids for for several years, and and we, it was painful enough for them that they mm -hmm. they had their own group of parents alienated that were praying for us. And my mom had sought out a counselor. I mean, it was very painful. Um, so 
so that that was that was one of the things that that was very hard. Our kids would be, why can't we go see Grandma and Grandpa and Monmouth? And and part of it, I wanted them. I wanted them to have that contact, but I knew that if we allowed it, there would be such hell to pay. It wouldn't be worth it. So so um, one of the things when we left. <laughs> was the joy I saw our families express. You know, they, they um, furnished, we, we had so few possessions, they, they gave us a microwave and furnished a place for us. And they were just very loving and forgiving. Mm. Um, I went to work every day as, and just tried to survive because I had talked up the church at work, you know, initially, and that was kind of awkward and embarrassing. Um, but I, as far as my relationship with God, I I didn't even open a Bible for probably two years. I just, um, it just was too painful. The... I think for Dave, he had a stronger dream than I did about the church and how he saw himself. But um, I had—I just thought we would grow together with our friends and and um, see each other's children grow up and and um, marry and have children and um, all that was was gone all those people but I mean they were closest as close as siblings many of them and we loved them but once you leave you know they of course can't reach out and and even if we tried to reach out it wouldn't do any good um there, there wouldn't be a response um but but um it was only gradually over the last <laughs> Well, let's see, that was a long time ago, 20, 23 years or something since we left. Um, um, I think for me, it's, it's just been gradual, and, and the, the studies that we've done at church have helped, and, and I've had a couple kind of breakthroughs since we've been mm-hmm. at, at GBC. Um, just just healing again and, and feeling that... Um, you know, I don't have to live with that guilt and shame, both what we, well, maybe things I did, but what I allowed our children to experience. Uh, And we're, I feel very fortunate and grateful and blessed that, um, you know, they love us very much and we still um, are very connected to our to our children, I think more so sometimes than than people who didn't go through such an awful experience. Um, but they they are very committed to us and know that we love them. Um, and there's effects for them, you know. I th- I think that they they'll always have some anxiety and and other other things as a result of their their experience, which they didn't choose. Of course, they were born yeah. into. Um, but I, I do feel like I have been freed up of a lot of the guilt and shame that 
just plagued me for, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the 20, 21 of the 23 years. <clears throat> I just had an experience a couple of years ago that I just feel like God freed me from that. Wow, and it was miraculous for me. Mm-hmm. Dave, how about for you? How did leaving impact you? It was huge for me uh, because occupationally, it was a total reset. Several years before we left, I had I had left my chiropractic career to move into church ministry and being an assistant pastor, and that's all I really ever wanted to do. I, as far as that was concerned, I I was happy with that. I wanted to be a person who was a teacher and a trainer and an elder and spiritual uh, leader equipping other people. So that was, that was kind of my dream job. And so, uh, that came to a screeching halt. It was, it was building over years, but you know, in 1996, so I was 46 years old, midlife. And all of a sudden I had nothing. I, I started over kind of at square one and, uh, Although it was exhilarating to make the break, and I would say in one sense, every day since we left 20-some years ago has been gravy after <laughs> that experience. Um, on the other hand, I in- experienced increasing physical fatigue over the next few months after we left. Uh, and that then that little did I know that that was signs of growing depression. Mm. Kind of fighting its way out from inside me toward the surface. Yep. And so... Several months after we left, I just I was working at a medical transcription company as a proofreader, and I just broke down one morning, just shut mm-hmm. down, and that was the beginning of several months of deep clinical depression and anxiety, where I just couldn't function. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that kind of pent up pressure from the previous years that I had not really acknowledged or been even been aware of just kind of came bubbling up and just shorted out my circuits, basically. And um, so, uh, of course, I couldn't work, couldn't go to church, couldn't even carry on a decent conversation when I was in the depths of that depression. And that was kind of complicated by uh, growing overuse of opioid pain medication for my chronic headaches, which... um, was also, you know, that was worsened by because, you know, I realized later that I was also taking the medication to deal with the 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 inner stress and everything mm-hmm. too. It wasn't just the headaches. So I, I had to go through some kind of some detox in nineteen ninety seven to to get get those things under control, get get that out of my system. And then I just uh, had a had a kind of a series of jobs. Uh, working at a car dealership, at a big insurance company, at Goodwill Industries the last few years of my career. Uh, first first as a job uh, employment specialist and then as an educator and trainer, uh, which I loved. And uh, But talk about a total reroute of my life's Man. goals and ambitions and expectations. Um, and yet, God's been faithful. I've been mentally and emotionally healthy since, since those... Uh, early uh, repercussions, you know, mm-hmm. and God uses everything in our lives um, to help 
to give us, he builds it into our message that we can then, as you read earlier, Mike, comfort those who are in any, any distress. Well, I've been through some distress, you know, yeah, I've been yeah. through the distress of an abusive church, the distress of chronic pain, the distress of uh, opioid dependence, um, a number of things that are part of my story now. And God's brought me through those things. And I can now speak with some, with kind of an insider's understanding of some of those things to people who may be going through similar things and hope I, I can give them a word of hope and encouragement and point to God's faithfulness. Amen. Amen. I just so appreciate your transparency and willingness, even in the setting to share this. How about as you keep processing it? So Becky, you've shared, you know, it's an ongoing healing process. There's trauma involved that's ongoing, but as, as you look back and consider it, have you struggled with any distortions of the gospel because of your experience? If that makes sense, I don't know the best way to say that, but like gospel distortions, you know, um, because of what you've been through. I think one of the things that our experience did for me, it was a very humbling thing. I think, you know, probably my chief besetting sin throughout my life because of I, the way I wired and the way I was raised is, is just pride, you know. Um, for other people, their, their besetting sin might be lust or greed or something like that. Um, take your pick. They're all doozies, you know, <laughs> but, but for me, you know, I could, uh, and part, part of the, part of the insidiousness of pride is that you can look at other people who, who, uh, give in to temptations toward greed or lust or these other things. And you, and you can say, well, I'm better than them. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't drink. I don't, I don't do these things. Um, so it's a, it's a really dangerous, it's a really dangerous condition. And, um, you know, it was the sin of the Pharisees and the people for whom Jesus had the strictest condemnation. Yep. Um, but I think God really, um, really broke me and I needed some kind of curriculum in, <laughs> that God would allow me to go through that would really break me of any illusions about my own goodness or my own competency, hmm. my own ability to make things happen. Um, and you know, it's not to say I've been totally cleansed of all that, but I think that, um, I, I emerged from that period of our lives really humbled and with a lot less of that kind of confidence in myself and just saying, you know, this hasn't, what I, the way I've tried to work out my life has not, has not worked out. I'm just going to be available to God. However, he wants to use me. If it's not in full-time ministry, as I always hoped it would be, okay. Um, just show me how you want to use me at Goodwill or at Regents Blue Cross or wherever I was working at the time and, and whatever church I was in. So, as I said earlier, it's been a very unexpected uh, journey for me in terms of occupation and other things. But um, God knows what each of us needs I think in terms of a training, training curriculum to to uh, root out the sins that would otherwise uh, derail us mm. and hinder our effectiveness, and to you know bring out the qualities that he wants to bring out in us. Yeah, yeah. Becky, how about for you? Is there anything just in terms of distortions of the gospel as you just walk through life and you're still healing, but oh, this is off here, just 
Well, I, I think the, the my history, even from a child, um, just a wrong view of God um, mm. as harsh punisher, um, not not loving and accepting, and ha- having already forgiven, you know, and that's that's something that I. Um, I have to remind myself when we did first and second Peter, and now I'm very a very alert to when I see this in the scripture when it says remind yourself. Amen. Um, and I just uh, I I want to do that. I need to do that because I'll slip back into the, to the false false viewpoint. Yeah, so that's been really really good for me. Amen. I love that too. In first and second Peter, yeah. how much that's just there to remind ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. How about have a few more questions, um, but just thinking about what you're sharing, Dave, you and I have had this conversation outside the podcast and I know this is a bigger thing, but I would just think it would encourage and challenge people to hear you guys speak to it a little bit. Basically the question is this, does a wolf know he or she's a wolf? And I mean, a spiritual wolf, a wolf in sheep's clothing, um, just from your experience and perspective, how would you put language to that? Are there different categories of wolves? Does a wolf know he or she's a wolf? What would you say? We were just talking about that a little bit hmm. earlier this morning, and I, I just don't think it's that clear cut. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer to that. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, I think that the particular wolf that we experienced was not consciously planning all this starting out. I think um, a person can be in ministry initially out of, out of good ambitions, righteous purposes, and yet if they're not helped to deal with sins in their life, uh, whether by other people through the word of God, to preaching, if they're not really open to correction of that type, uh, then they can just uh, fall further and further under the control of that particular sin. And uh, some people are strongly prone to desire to to desire power desire control, to desire admiration, things like this. And uh, if, if you've got the right kind of personality and the right kind of skills mm-hmm. to draw people to yourself, to influence people, um, that's that's a very tempting thing to do. So, yeah, I, I guess to answer the question, I, I, I don't think you could say that, that every wolf starts out with a life plan to be a wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can it can overtake them, and I think it points to the importance of uh, accountability and being in in transparent relationships with other believers and bringing yourself under the authority of God's word. And yep. you know, when when we look at cases, I, I've studied and read about a lot of different situations of spiritual abuse, and it just seems like a recurring theme is that when a person gets in that position, they surround themselves with people who will say yes to everything, who will never question them, whose loyalty is unquestioned. And uh, they they wall themselves off from the kinds of reproof and rebuke and correction that every believer, all of us need. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you. I, I know that's a big question to ask, but just yeah. hearing you speak to it, I think, is helpful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just I just would add it, it's it's not that he or the people under him are operating kind of thinking, you know, we're going to pull this one off. Mm -hmm. But they actually believe that they're going to be some of the church elders in heaven. Um, and wow. they, they actually, um, they would say, well, yeah, everybody sins, but, um, but this is the most godly man, you know, where, where else would we go? Man. Um, I think I would also say that just, just as none of us is above the possibility of being spiritually abused, mm -hmm. I don't think any of us is above being an abuser either. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're all capable of that. And we found yeah. about ourselves when we got put in positions of authority over others. Maybe we were just somewhere in the middle of that chain of authority and influence. But we picked up on some of the abusive techniques of, of our leaders. And so yeah. we took advantage of others yeah. in ways that I'm not proud of at all. You know, So I think um, we we any of us could could um, be victimized and fall under the influence of spiritual abusers, but any of us could participate in in an abusive system Yes. on the other end, too. Yep. To your points, amen to what you're saying. We have to be so in tune with the gospel and God's word, qualifications for leaders, uh, what first and second Peter's speak to, I mean, it just, um, we have to be in tune with it or we're going to be out of tune in all those different yeah. ways. Yeah. How about, um, you know, kind of maybe taking a step back, what encouragement or counsel would you give to someone that has experienced spiritual abuse or maybe they have a friend or loved one they're concerned about just what encouragement or counsel would you share? Well, I, I would definitely say there there is life on the other side uh, that that what seems like a dead end um, God can redeem um, it took a long long time for me to to um, see ever be able to see anything positive or all things happen for good you know that verse um, but after over 20 years, you know, I, I can see that now, but it just takes time and it will take time. People need time to heal. Uh, I think it'd be excellent to be in counseling um, with somebody who knows something about uh, the situation. I, I went for a while um, for counseling and the woman meant well, but she, I could tell she never believed me when I said that there was anything positive. Um, and uh, so you have to be careful who, who, you're, who you're talking to. But um, being in a group of, of people, if you can find some close friends or people that uh, are going through the same thing, those kinds of groups, whether it's Weight Watchers or or Alcoholics Anonymous, those kinds of groups have have some something to offer mm -hmm. and uh, make, make a place a place to bring some some healing. And I certainly think the church um, should and can be one of those places. Yeah, amen to that. 
a friend of ours who's now a pastor in downtown Portland, Ken Garrett, um, and went through the same experience with us all those years, has started a a local group called Safe. I think it's Spiritual Abuse Forum for Education. I think mm-hmm. it's what he called. It. But they have monthly meetings for people who have suffered some form of spiritual abuse, um, and that can be really helpful. Not not everybody's at a place where they're maybe they're too fragile to to be in a group like that. But I think there are quite a few survivors of spiritual abuse who can really benefit from a safe place like that where they're really understood, yeah. you know, and where they can just be be honest and be be vulnerable um, and, and share, learn, learn from others who have been through um, similar things. But I, I would say, you know, to anyone, if you suspect that you or someone you know is undergoing spiritual abuse, or if you suspect that if you know someone who maybe talks about a really bad situation they experienced in the past in a church, and they're obviously just bitter and unresolved about it, um, I think it's really important to, to, to deal with these things and find someone to talk to. Um, there are people like Becky and me who have been through it who are happy to talk to others at any time. And, uh, you know, if you can't process it, it'll eat you alive. Yeah. Um, because the wounds are really deep. They're, they're real and they're deep. And, uh, you're not, you're not hurting anybody but yourself. If you hold on to the, the bitterness and the woundedness, um, it's just not. It's just not worth it. So we're we're living in a time, thankfully, when when these things are being aired mm-hmm. a lot more cases of, of abuse, and I think that's healthy. I think always there can be a, a swing of the pendulum too far, and where there can be people crying wolf when spiritual leaders are simply trying to help them grow, and yet that person might accuse them of being spiritually abusive. But I, I think that's. On the scale of things, I think that's a fairly small concern. I think um, it's it's important that we uh, give every opportunity for people who have experienced spiritual abuse or know those who have to to bring it to the light and to work through it. Amen. You- I think, too, as far as if you have a friend or a family member in a cult that you're concerned about, um, to me, other than prayer— um, don't give up. Don't stop trying. Um, don't try to correct. Um, no matter what you say, there's an answer um, and a, a superior um, attitude and answer for it. So I, I would say keep praying, but also, you know, write a letter, make a phone call, even though you'll be shunned um, and maybe maybe treated badly. Uh, If you love that person, don't give up. Mm, Thank you. I so appreciate both of you that you're speaking with grace and truth, that you're not just um, trying to whitewash it or not speak to it. You're willing to just be blunt and share your story. And yet, just picturing both of you, you're leaning towards God in all of this as you've processed it, as you've healed. I'm just, I love you guys. I thank you for your willingness to share this. I hope people will really hear and receive what you're saying and that if anyone does have questions, you know, they want to just 
talk with you about it or maybe share some concerns of their own experience. Um, you both are great people just to um, heal with and to talk that through. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks any, for allowing us to share our experience. Oh, yeah. oh, thank you. Yeah. Any closing thoughts, encouragements, just anything you want to say? I don't think so. <laughs> well, I just wanted to ask. Dave has yeah. something. Um, well, I would just say I always want to keep everything in the context of of knowing and following Jesus. So um, this is an important issue um, in the church, I think, spiritual abuse. It's, it's, it's far more widespread than most people know, and it happens in all different levels of intensity. But uh, I just always want to call people back to following Jesus, not just saying, okay, I, I made a decision to follow Jesus, now I'm a Christian. But, um, you know, I think the answer to a lot of problems in the church, whether it's abuse or whether it's prejudice or worldliness or anything, is is when we set ourselves to to be all in with Jesus. Like as it says in Matthew mm-hmm. 11, take my yoke on you and learn from me. So walk, you know, get in the yoke with Jesus side by side, walk in the same direction he's going toward the same purposes that he's wanting us to go toward. And um, I think the more that, the more that each of us makes that decision to really be in kind of in the harness with Jesus, uh, that will protect us against a lot of forms of spiritual abuse and, and the other the other things in this world that tempt us, you know, away from loyalty to Jesus and away from uh, usefulness to Him. Well said. And how does Scripture say that yoke is described? <laughs> yeah, it's it's easy. It's 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 so much easier than any other yoke. And all of us wear a yoke, whether we know it or not. But Amen. Jesus' yoke is the is the best one. Amen. Appreciate your encouragement to trust and follow Jesus and all of this. So, all right. Thanks for coming on the podcast, mm-hmm. being willing to have this discussion, Gresham Bible Church. I hope you've uh, been encouraged and challenged by Dave and Becky. I would encourage us as a church to um, thank them for their story and ask any questions uh, like this. I appreciate we're a church who um, wants to have hard conversations, who wants to be in tune with the gospel, and yet we're all out of tune in different ways. So we need to encourage each other to be um, in tune with the gospel. So. All right. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, of course, reach out to Dave and Becky. And or if there's anything you'd like to talk with me about, happy to have that discussion with you. And you can reach out to me at mike at greshambible.org. All right, Gresham Bible Church. Until next week. Love you.